everyone and welcome to another podcast, Menopause, the Good, the Bad and the Downright Sweaty. I'm Diane Danzybrink and with me is my lovely co-host Sophie Claus. Hello everyone. So today we are going to be responding to some requests that we've had from women who want to know whether or not they can start HRT in post-menopause. But before we do that, um, quick catch up around the current HRT situation, which has caused quite a lot of confusion and distress. There's been a lot more media coverage about it, hasn't there, in the last week or so? There has. I uh, I think every day this week mm. I've had requests from media for case studies. Because you've got women um, going across to Europe out of sheer desperation to try and get hold of it. Uh, do you know, I even saw... Um, this morning that HRT is being sold on various platforms online probably for an absolute fortune from well. uh, from what you know sort of not not I don't mean sort of um, pharmacies on listings platforms oh, online um, but it's really important to know particularly if you're somebody who has well I say been using but has been prescribed, you might not have been able to get it, but been prescribed either the Everol Conti or the Everol 50 patches, they both came back into stock on the 14th of February. Woohoo! <laughs> so I know we've seen lots of pictures of ladies who have actually managed to get hold of them yeah. again. Very excited. It's like Christmas as well. <laughs> exactly. Um, but the remaining Everol products, so that's the other estrogen only patches, um, so the 25, 75s, and 100s. Um, I think the 25s have been around most of the time, um, but also the Everol Sequi, they should all be back in stock by the end of March. And I am hoping to get an update on that in the next couple of weeks. So we should have more details Fingers about <laughs> how have hopeful. <laughs> how have the women in your menopause groups your meetup meet groups, have they been affected by They that? really have, yeah. Right. It's been difficult to see, actually, because you've had women that have kind of come to the group last year, struggling, managed to go and have those conversations with their doctors and get HRT, and then you've kind of seen them pick right back up and feel better about themselves and gain some confidence and kind of feel more like them again. And then the shortage has happened and it ruined quite a few people's Christmases right. because they just felt on edge they were struggling with symptoms that came flooding back in um so it's been really hard to see and it's made so many of us just feel really angry and let down yeah everyone feels a bit failed because it shouldn't have been allowed to happen it certainly shouldn't have been allowed to go on this long no and it's not just the impact on the person themselves it's their relationships it's their work it's just day-to-day -day life so yeah. um i know that the news that the 
especially the Everell patches, will be back in stock at the end of March, will bring relief to many of them. <laughs> I have to apologise, I'm sounding really croaky, it's like my husky, husky voice. That's because so, you're um, tired, lovely, probably. Yeah, you've had a busy weekend me. so far, and you've still got a busy weekend ahead of you, haven't you? Yeah, and we're currently, um, you may hear in the background, lots of <laughs> whistling and blustering. We've got Storm Dennis raging outside, so... Um, Storm Dennis is joining us. How inconsiderate. I know, exactly. I know. One storm after another. So, with starting HR team post-menopause, mm. should we first explain what post-menopause is? Because this seems to also still cause a lot of confusion. Yeah, definitely. So, post-menopause is essentially 12 months and one day sort of into your menopausal transition. So, when you haven't had a bleed. So, essentially, perimenopause is everything from your first symptom up to the time when you're no longer having regular periods. So that's 12 months generally without a period. The day after that, after 12 months without a period, clinically is referred to as menopause, which always makes, when I say that in front of roomfuls of women, always makes them fall about laughing, that everything they've experienced comes down to one day. <laughs> People are um, always really shocked by that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but postmenopause is essentially everything after that. So once we've had that continuous 12 months and one day, we live essentially the rest of our lives in a postmenopausal state. And people always say, how long will my postmenopause last for? Mm. And no two women are the same. It can last for any amount of time. Well, your, post, your postmenopause you... is the state you live in forever. Yeah, but people seem there seems to be this kind of misconception that they that think it's you'll get through and you'll be in postmenopause for two years or mm. five years, which mm. especially isn't helped by some GPs who seem to implement a HRT expiry date on people, yeah. which makes women feel panicked or gives an expectation that they should feel better. Exactly, um, and that, oh, I've got two years on my HRT, and then I need to feel better and come off of it because that's what my doctor said. Yeah, I think it's also really important to recognise that there's there's quite a big myth around postmenopause as well, and that is that postmenopause means no more periods, and it also means no more symptoms. And unfortunately, for some women, that's simply not the case. They will continue to be symptomatic. And whether or not you're symptomatic, you are still at greater risk from the long-term implications of female hormone deficiency, which is essentially that oestrogen deficiency specifically. Mm -hmm. um, so I know we've spoken about this before, but just to reiterate that oestrogen has a protective effect on our bones, our hearts, and we're learning more and more about how oestrogen helps to protect brain function long term. So it's estimated that approximately during the perimenopausal phase, so that's sort of, that's everything from first symptom to the time when we've had our sort of 12 months without a period. Um, during that phase, which on average for most women will last for between four and eight years, um, during that time, we lose approximately 20% of our bone density. So that's quite significant. Mm. Um, and then obviously, as we age, depending on how well we, we look after ourselves, 
So how much weight-bearing exercise we do, how good our diet is, etc. You know, we can have an impact on all those things ourselves, mm -hmm. but our bone density will continue to degree, decrease. There's no doubt about it. And that's why, as women age, there are a much greater risk of osteoporotic fracture than a man. So a man's risk as he ages is one in five. A woman's is currently one in two. Oh, wow. So a big difference. Huge difference. So should women in men like perimenopause, postmenopause, should they be given bone density scans to check? Uh, so if you have, if certainly if you're a woman in premature menopause, so menopause under 40 for whatever reason, if you're a woman under 40, you should certainly um, be given a bone scan to look at what your bone density is. Because if you think about it, what we really need is we really need a baseline mm -hmm. to see, is it good? Is it not so good? You know, how does that, how, how, how would a woman then need to manage her menopause symptoms? Gives them symptoms? the ability, doesn't it, to make, to take preventative measures to Absolutely. start doing weight-bearing Absolutely. So under 40, you know, sort of all women in premature menopause um, should be counselled very carefully about the need for supplemental hormones. Um, the same for those women in early menopause. So in early menopause, that would be any woman under 45. Also, if you've got a family history of osteoporosis, mm -hmm. um, then certainly a DEXA, DEXA scan would be useful because, again, it shows where you are. Um, so obviously, you know, sort of always it would be sensible to be trying to prevent yeah. rather than, you know, sort of pick up the pieces afterwards. Um, and then for women who go into, for women who go into a surgical menopause or a chemically induced menopause, so a medical menopause, um, depending on their situation. So if they have had no previous problems with bone health, and they start to take um, supplemental hormones almost immediately, then there shouldn't really be a need. Okay. However, if you... So I've got several... I've got several clients who are early menopause or they're surgical menopause and early mm -hmm. or surgical and premature um, who have not been counselled well about the need for supplemental hormones. Um, and in fact, sadly, um, one young woman has recently reported her first fracture. Um, Just on top of everything else. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, sort of that really does, it's, it, I, I can't really stress how key it is mm. that, you know, sort of women, women under 45, who go into an early or premature menopause, it is absolutely key that they have the right information about replacing those hormones. And that's the thing, this information generally still isn't widely available to, that people aren't being told. So for example, when I went into surgical menopause, mm. obviously afterwards I wasn't given any, any guidance mm. or, or support, definitely didn't ever have the word bone density scan mentioned to and me. you're very young yeah and this was i've been medical menopause three times mm -hmm. um and not once in those periods did did anyone ever say you should have a bone density scan it was only when i was referred to a specialist clinic mm -hmm. after asking over 19 times yeah that 
that kind of came up and that conversation happened. And sadly, that is often the case. Mm. And then by that point, it could potentially, you, you could be really kind of into that situation where the preventative measures you then take may not actually be as effective. Absolutely. Um, And I think, you know, sort of particularly, so when we talk about those women who are then in Mm post-menopause, who have never taken supplemental hormones, I think there's also, you know, sort of, we also have to look at how we're going to advise them Mm-hmm. on how they're going to protect their long-term health and I think a lot of people tend to believe that if they haven't taken hormone replacement during the perimenopause they can't have it postmenopausally. Um, that's certainly that's certainly something that I hear from women and they're told that by their doctors that well you you know kind of you're over your worst symptoms so you can't have it now Um, And of course, we have to stop thinking about menopause as, sorry, we have to stop thinking about HRT purely as a treatment for symptoms, but we also have to think about it as a treatment for long-term health too. It's a deficiency. Yeah. So as we always say, if you have an iron deficiency, you're given an iron supplement. If you're diabetic, you're given insulin. It's When you break it down like that, that generally Mm -hmm. kind of has that moment with people where they say, oh, right, okay, because they are deficient in estrogen and that's what they need to remain healthy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing that people are often quite fearful of is obviously the concerns around HRT and breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's often something that puts them off. And the just not knowing that, you know, sort of as you age, the just how important estrogen is to the body so you know sort of for the whole body (laughs) whether it's for we've said about it before but you know kind of whether it's for your vulva and vagina whether it's for your skin whether it's for your muscle health whether it's for your gut health etc whether it's for your hair etc etc you know estrogen is so key throughout the body um so I think there are lots of things that put people off, including professional misinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, sort of, I think that probably the, the simplest answer to the question is, can somebody in postmenopause take HRT? The simplest answer is potentially yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it really depends on the length of time between when they stopped having periods and when they're considering it. So there's generally this sort of, what's called a window of opportunity, um, which is that HRT really needs to be started in the window of around 10 years between stopping your periods and starting it. Right. Um, so if you're a woman who is, I know we've had a few women who are in their very early 50s, mm-hmm. who you know kind of have commented, um so if you're a woman in your early 50s and let's say you you know you it's been a year since you stopped your periods it's been two years it's been three years potentially yes of course you can you can start HRT it would obviously as with any conversation it's all about individualizing HRT so both the both the type so whether that's tablets patches or gels um generally 
you know, sort of the professional advice would be transdermal, would be through the skin rather than tablet, just because tablet has this tiny increased risk of blood clot. Mm -hmm. And it is a very small risk, but why take the risk? When if there are options if there are transdermal which don't have the risk and then of course as with any medication as with any treatment with anything that you're going to be taking or using then we have to think about what's that person's history what's their medical history and how long can women take it for postmenopausal? Because there does seem to be a few women have commented and said, oh, my GP said I need to come off of it. Mm. I can be on it for two years. Mm. And one woman was told just a year. Mm. And obviously that then does kind of set that time clock, that time scale to them where they yeah. may start feeling really well on it. And then they're thinking, well, I have to come off. And they mm. understandably feel panicked about it. Yeah, so it should be personal choice. Mm -hmm. um, and again, so anybody however whatever age you are if you're on hrt then you should have an annual review so once a year you should be checking in with either your doctor or your menopause specialist whoever you're seeing um, looking at sort of um, are your symptoms all controlled if you're still having symptoms what's your general health like is this still working for you do we need to look at altering the doses etc etc um, so it's very much about individualizing, but there really is, currently there is no time limit on how long a woman can take it for. Um, there are all sorts of myths, both public and sort of within professional medical communities around how long it can be taken. There's often, it's often said that women can have it for five years, but it's nonsense. Mm -hmm. Women can take it for us, providing that there's no contraindication Women can take HRT for as long as they would like to. Um, and it should be, it should absolutely be personal choice because at the end of the day, um, you know, sort of it's, it's an individual's health and well-being. So if a woman feels well on HRT and she's doing well on it, mm -hmm. then all, all good. Um, and it also has to be remembered that when she stops taking it, then she's going to stop having the protection of that estrogen um, it's probably worth just going over the figures as far as breast cancer is concerned because I know that that's something that you know is a big concern mm -hmm. for a lot of women um, so essentially all the sort of all the headlines around HRT and breast cancer really came out of the 2002 WHI study the Women's Health Initiative study um, was a huge study which um, was essentially ended early and it was the idea of the study was to look at how HRT worked for women who were postmenopausal who had not taken HRT before. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately what happened was the study was ended early because in the cohort who were taking oestrogen and an old type of so an old type of estrogen in pill form, old type of synthetic progestogen. In the cohort that were using those, so they were women who still had their womb, there was a small increased incidence of breast cancer over and above the national average. Right. When a big study like that is done, usually what happens is it's sort of examined 
by another set of statisticians, academics, etc., to see how well the study was done. So look at the methodology, look at the results, basically double checking. Unfortunately, on that, this occasion, even though it was a huge study that ran over many years, that wasn't done. And essentially the headline around HRT causes breast cancer, which is the one that we saw and we still continue to see, unfortunately. Constantly in the media. Yeah. That that press release was put straight out to the media, which is really unusual. Um, It wasn't until some years later when the data was analysed again that it was seen that the cohort of women were considerably older than expected. So actually you had women in their 60s, mainly their 60s and 70s. So the average age of the women was 63. Most of them were 10 years postmenopausal. So I talked about this window of opportunity, giving women HRT within the first 10 years after they'd stopped their periods, the earlier the better. Um, So a lot of those women were were 10 years postmenopausal before they started it also saw that there were women in there who had a BMI over 30. So a lot of those women had a BMI over 30. So that's a big risk for all sorts of other health issues, Mm -hmm. essentially. Um, There were also women in there who had had, who had previous heart disease, who had had previous heart attacks, etc. So the, essentially, the results were somewhat skewed. Because there are um, so many other contributing factors. Exactly to, to that, work. exactly mm. that. And so many of them were 10 years post-menopause. So this 10-year window, essentially, if a woman, as I say, if a woman is, you know, one, two, three, four years post-menopause, um, you know, sort of really, the doctor might feel that they can't prescribe, but there's no reason not to refer on to a specialist. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly if a woman were to go along to a doctor after 10 years and say, I'm now, let's say, 63, I'm still having symptoms, I'd like to start HRT, I would not expect a GP to turn around and say, yes, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Because that really should be a specialist referral. Um, so they can be referred into British Menopause Society menopause clinics. Um, we do have them around the country, not enough, but we do have them. Um, but I think, you know, kind of the important thing to say about the breast cancer and HRT scare is that we have much... We, HRT um, products have moved on a lot. So we've moved on from the old type of synthetic progestogen and the older type of oestrogen. So we now have body identical plant-derived oestrogen and progesterone. Um, The oestrogen is transdermal via a patch or a gel, and the the progesterone is what we call micronized progesterone, so really well absorbed. and with transdermal, just in case people, mm. that gets absorbed straight into your... Straight into the bloodstream. Yeah, yeah exactly. Which bypasses the liver, which yeah. can also carry more... more exactly, exactly that. So the kind of, the short answer to can postmenopausal women start HRT is yes. The long answer is, in a small number of cases, that may need a referral into a specialist... In the real world, women might find that 
if you see a GP who has a special interest in menopause, shouldn't be a problem. Or a practice nurse, shouldn't be a problem. But if you go and see a GP who doesn't know much about menopause, you might find yourself being told no, in which case then ask for a referral into a menopause clinic. Is it in the NICE guidelines about taking um, HRT in postmenopause? Like, is there any, <laughs> Sorry. I don't recall seeing it Just in the guidelines about HRT and time frames and things. So, well, as you'll see, there's no time. There's no time limit because mm. it's just where have the where have these time frames come from? Well, because we obviously both heard them being thrown around mm. quite a lot. That there's this people come to my group in Hitchin or Biggleswade and say, "Oh, well, I've been told I've got a year left on my HRT and I have to come off." yet they've got really bad vaginal atrophy mm. and the HRT is giving them a much better quality of life. Yeah. And it's just interesting to, to know where this time frame has come from. Yeah, because so it seems to vary as well with per, per your postcode. I think a lot of it came out of the WHI, mm-hmm. but I also think that, as I say, so much myth has grown up around HRT that sometimes I think figures are just plucked out of the air. Right. You know, sort of, and vaginal atrophy is a good case in point because even if you've had no symptoms during perimenopause, postmenopausally, it's probably vaginal atrophy and the urinary symptoms that are the ones that are the most troublesome. Mm. And women develop those, and because they've developed them postmenopausally, they don't necessarily link them to falling levels of estrogen. Yeah. So they might see them as something completely separate and just think, well, it's because so many say, well, it's just because I'm getting older. Mm. Um, and yeah, in some respects, it is because you're getting older, but it's because of a lack of estrogen. And I think it's also important to say that estrogen replacement therapy or hormone replacement therapy, you're not looking to replace levels to you know, sort of when you're in your 20s and 30s, it's about giving enough to support either symptom control or long-term health. Mm -hmm. So in postmenopause, sometimes it's symptom control, but very often it's about long-term health. I think renaming menopause to female hormone deficiency Mm. would make a huge difference Mm. to the way that people perceive it. Yeah. Because if you're you've had a hormone your entire life mm. and then for some women it just drops rapidly like you and I in surgical mm. menopause mm. other women just have a very big response to those declining levels yeah that if you look at it that way of actually this is something I've had my whole life and now it's just gone mm. then people would be much more willing to kind of look at it from I'm just replenishing my levels I'm just giving my body what it needs back yeah absolutely but instead people view it as as HRT as something that does carry a risk that is dangerous that I shouldn't be putting in my body understandably if they've been scared by previous media reports Mm. but it is then preventing women from actually having that opportunity to make themselves feel better to give them back a quality of life I met a woman the other day who is um she's 54 she's having 20 hot flushes a day Mm. and night flushes constantly through Mm. the night Mm. and just terrified by past media reports Mm. and to the point where she's not even wanted to read anything recent because she just doesn't think it's a an option. Yeah. I mean, um, from a kind of therapeutic point of view, I've had several clients who have been very anti-HRT because they're so nervous of it, because of everything they've heard and they've read. Um, and actually, their sort of um, 
the method that they've used to deal with their symptoms has been to rely on alcohol. So generally it's wine and they're drinking more and more wine, which for anybody that's ever experienced, oh, there goes the tractor. For anybody who's ever experienced hot flushes, um, they will be aware that alcohol can, you know, kind of can actually exacerbate those Especially hot flushes. Especially white wine. Yeah. That can have a huge... Um, so they're sort of, and very often, you know, sort of these women will say, I recognise that, you know, I'm drinking too much wine, but this is kind of what I'm relying on to get me through. And then if you talk back about the risks so you know sort of the risk of drinking two glasses of wine a night is slightly that there's actually more risk of breast cancer than there is of using the oldest type of combined estrogen and progestogen Mm -hmm. so it's there's a slight increase so you would have you'd have an extra four cases per thousand women over a five-year period if those women were in, were between 50 and 59, if they were using the oldest type of estrogen and progestogen. But if they're drinking two glasses of alcohol a night, you'd actually have an extra five cases. So that when puts you, it into context, doesn't it? And when you think you can mitigate the old estrogen and progestogen risk by giving body identical plant derived hormones then you know sort of it's it's kind of a no-brainer they need to report these statistics in the media more don't they that would be great (laughs) (laughs) oh sophie i so wish they would but it's not good it's it's good news it's good news isn't it yeah you know you do occasionally see you know sort of you do occasionally see a bit of good news um, but it needs to be sustained because the thing is with any message, if if you've seen a negative message, so you think the WHI was 2002? 18 years 18 ago. 18 years ago. So people have essentially seen around 18 years of negative headlines mm-hmm. and that, that's been reinforced by things that their healthcare professionals have said, by things that their family and friends have said, etc. The Lancet et report last year. The Lancet report last year. So... You know, sort of, it's going to take a lot of positive reporting to counteract that. The sad thing is, is that along the way, a lot of women fall through the knowledge gap and consequently there is a risk to their long-term health. And that's very sad. It's really sad. So, as I said, short answer is yes... Long answer is yes, but maybe you need to see a specialist um, and you need to, you might need to push for that. Um, and then there's always the third option, which is that you can pay privately to see a specialist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, whilst I think that private care should be a choice, if that's something that you are fortunate enough to be able to consider at the moment far too many women are being driven to private clinics because they have absolutely no option because they're simply being told no and And that absolutely has to change yeah yeah i mean 
yeah, I'm kind of hearing far too many women who are putting these consultations on credit cards, etc. Yeah. Um, and you know that's that's not right. And I know many I know many doctors who work in private clinics um, who would agree with that with that sentiment. Who would like to see things change too, and would love to be running NHS menopause clinics, if only you know, sort of the, if only the options were there and the funding was there for them to do that. And having the menopause clinics would alleviate some of the pressures on other services. So Massively. Yeah. Anyway, as always, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can get us on the... Here she goes, she's forgotten it again. (laughs) Hello, menopause podcast at hotmail.com. We just look at each other sometimes. We're like, uh... <laughs> it is Sunday morning. <laughs> um, or you can find us on Instagram, The Menopause Podcast. And you can come to menopausesupport.co.uk and if you'd like to join the private Facebook community, that's The Menopause Support Network. And Soph, a little mention for the two groups that you run. So we've got The Menopause Club in Biggleswade on the second Monday of each month from 7 till 8.30pm at Sainsbury's Biggleswade and then you've got the um, Hitchin Menopause Club at the Haberdashery on the last Monday of each month from 7 till 9. Perfect so have a lovely week or two weeks till the next one gorgeous people and we will be back soon. See you soon take care.